Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. You're listening to SoCal Live with Scott Furrow on 99.5 KKLA. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Southern California Live. Great to be with you again today for Hour 2 of SoCal Live. It's going to get hot again this weekend, I guess. But, uh, you know, September is supposed to be our usually our hottest month, I think. Still stays kind of uh, warm into October. And then we get into fall. Uh, when I lived in San Diego, fall for sure was my favorite season of the year. Um, in uh, Is that the way I'm going to feel about it in Los Angeles? I grew up here in uh, Palmdale, which is a good place to be from. And um, But I am curious about whether or not I'm going to feel the same thing once I am here in L.A. And uh, it is uh, – anyway, it's kind of fun. I'm hearing something funny in my headset, so I'm trying to uh, you know say one thing or another here. But uh, I'm hearing like, uh, like, what's happening? Is it an emergency? Now it's gone. Thank you, Jared. And uh, <laughs> it's like, wow, I'm, I'm – uh, you know, my brain's just going crazy here. Anyway, that happens sometimes to us, doesn't it? Uh, if you ever hear voices, you know, uh, you probably should check it out. I had a guy – one church I served at uh, was in the middle of a neighborhood where there was a lot of homeless people. And my office was at a location in the church that was very secluded from everywhere else. It was actually behind the sanctuary. I used to tell people that that's where they buried all the old pastors because it was an old church. And, uh, you know, we buried pastors back in the day at the church, and people would freak out about that. Anyway, this guy comes in my office one day, and he sits there, and he says, "Uh, sometimes I hear voices. And I said, oh, yeah? And he goes, "Uh, sometimes the voices tell me to kill people. And I said, "Uh, what are the voices telling you to do right now? (laughs) <laughs> and I thought, man, they're not going to find me for days back here. But uh, he wasn't hearing them at the moment, and we uh, helped him out. This is Southern California Live. We'll reset it here a little bit, 888-528-2557, 888-2557, if you want to join our conversation. You know, we haven't taken a lot of time in a while to take a look at the news and what's happening in uh, Ukraine. Uh, I don't want to get into that too much, but I don't want it to to leave our our mindset, especially when there are uh, some statements being made by Putin that are frightening, when we have um, just a lot of a lot of death and a lot of terrible things happening, and in particular for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are over there, uh, Ukraine, at least before the war, actually was the largest missionary sending country in all of Europe. Did you know that Christian missionary sending? And uh, that has been severely disrupted, obviously. And I think it's important when we look at world events to consider the spiritual implications of what is happening, that if we really could understand everything that maybe is going on in the spiritual world, what would we know? What different things would we understand? And I think that we we often try to – and I want to explain this because somebody wrote me and uh, I think I m- maybe wasn't clear about it. We're not told in the Bible to figure out everything that the devil is doing. By that, what I mean is is that that some of us, you know, we really are trying to figure out where the devil is in the room and what the devil might be doing here or there. And it got it gets really absurd sometimes. There was a group of people a few years ago who 
decided that there was uh, an evil snow witch and uh, that they needed to climb Mount Everest and go curse down the snow witch. I wish I was making that up, but I'm not. And, you know, I look at that and I go, uh, you know, what you did was you, you isolated yourself with a weird story to go to a part of the world. They didn't really climb Everest. They probably got to a touristy area somewhere beneath it. Uh, <laughs> these guys were not these guys were not climbing Everest, okay? And I'm not climbing Everest anytime soon. Anyway, there's this whole thing about these Christian guys, pastors, and they're they're cursing down the evil Snow Queen, on, and I'm going, there is no evil Snow Queen. What happened is the devil has pulled you off the field of Christian evangelism and discipleship and sent you over there and brought a lot of your readers and people with you. Um, stop doing that. You know, we're not, that's where it gets really absurd. Um, but at the same time, we have to acknowledge that the scriptures are really true in telling us that there is evil going on, okay, that there are, uh, that the devil has schemes that this is happening. And I, I don't think we need to understand specifically what those things are, but what the devil is doing is trying to deceive us. So we do need to understand what is true and what is false and uh, combat those things and not get involved in arguments that don't really matter. But there are things that really do, in particular with our faith. And I think that a big part of what we need to do as brothers and sisters in Christ is realize that we are part of the family of God, and there are Christians who are suffering around the world in different places and suffering in ways that are are so uh, significant that I think a lot of us can't really even – we don't really even understand. I mean, we have probably a lot of uh, – we have a lot of – freedoms that maybe we take for granted and we forget and it's helpful to realize that there are people around the world who are are suffering so what's happening over there in russia or in uh russia that's what they want me to say over there in russia but in uh ukraine is um the war's taking a turn i don't know that it means ukraine's going to somehow win i don't know if there is winning when your country is basically destroyed um, but they are pushing Russia out, and the concern is that Vladimir Putin is acting like a crazy person, which I think he probably he kind of is, and threatening nuclear war. It's a is a very odd, scary thing to threaten nuclear war um, against the West. In Poland, apparently, they're handing out the uh, little iodine pills that you give people that protect you a little bit from uh, radiation. I think what they do is they they protect your uh, your, some of your glands, you know, that can be easily damaged by uh, radiation. You know, those things are, are scary, um, and they are there. And there are Christians who are on the ground who are working really hard. The president spoke, President Biden spoke at the UN yesterday, uh, and uh, he had some things to say about it calling out Russia. Here's what he said. A war chosen by one man, to be very blunt. Let us speak plainly. A permanent member of the United Nations Security Council invaded its neighbor, attempted to erase a sovereign state from the map. Russia has shamelessly violated the core tenets of the United Nations Charter. No more important than the clear prohibition against countries taking the territory of their neighbor by force. Again, just today, President Putin has made overt nuclear threats against Europe and a reckless disregard for the responsibilities of the non-proliferation regime. Now, 
Russia is calling, calling up more soldiers to join the fight. And the Kremlin is organizing a sham referenda to try to annex parts of Ukraine, an extremely <coughs> significant violation of the UN Charter. This world should see these outrageous acts for what they are. Putin claims he had to act because Russia was threatened. But no one threatened Russia. And no one other than Russia sought conflict. In fact, we warned it was coming. And with many of you, we worked to try to avert it. All right. So that was a that was kind of the gist of his remarks. I'm glad that he said those things and called out Russia. I think that matters. I wish he would have. You, I don't know that you know, people had different opinions about George W. Bush's axis of evil thing. The axis of evil was uh, what was it? It was Iran, Iraq and North Korea. That's the axis of evil after 9-11. Those are the countries that uh, we went after. You know, I often think that uh, the whole idea was, was that we would take out each one of those countries as a result of 9-11, but we got bogged down into those wars uh, and couldn't do it. So uh, the president, uh, I'm glad that he called out Russia. I think you have to, an invading country, you've got to do that. There are lots of political issues and other things that are in there, but you can't have this happen um, without calling it out. I wish he would have tied in together China and North Korea and Iran who are involved, who the Russians are going and making relationships with. And whether you want to call that axis of evil or you want to just call it a, uh, you know, an organized group of of states that are contributing to the invasion of a sovereign country, Ukraine, um, I think he should have done that. But anyway, I was glad that he actually called this out. In What's happening in Russia and what we need to pray for is there's missionaries in Russia. There's the gospel that is being spread in Russia, some opportunity for that. This is a scary time. 300,000 reservists are being called up, first time since the end of World War II. We hear a lot about that with this Ukraine thing. First time since the end of World War II. That was a long time ago now. There aren't too many people around anymore who were around back then. So when we hear first time since World War II, Uh, When it comes to uh, military, uh, that's worth paying attention to. The New York Post is writing that the number one, one of the number one search uh, search engine things that people type in a search engine in Russia ever since President Putin announced that he was going to call up three hundred thousand reservists is how to break your arm at home. (laughs) That it's not funny, but it's kind of funny, right? I mean, it's it is. You don't want to be called up. So what's happened is a lot of these soldiers have written back to mom and dad saying that they're starving. It's a, humanita- it's a humanitarian disaster. The soldiers that are being sent in Ukraine write that they don't even know why they're there, really. Uh, they're not there to fight a bunch of Nazis or other stuff, as uh, Putin says. In fact, now Putin is saying we're defending their own homeland, like they got attacked. Um, and so they are actually writing that or, or looking for how to break their own arms to get out of the military. Have you ever done something crazy to get yourself out of something that you didn't want to go do? I hope that you haven't done that. But, uh, uh, I mean, short of people calling in sick, right? You call in sick and, and <laughs> yeah, I'm sick today. I don't have to go to work, uh, which is a lie, by the way, unless you're actually sick. You shouldn't do that. As, as, you don't want to be the Christian person who everybody knows that you're not really sick. There's a, there's a sense sometimes in the workplace, too, when somebody calls in sick and it's not real that people kind of know. 
Right? I worked someplace once where somebody called in sick, and then other people who had a vacation day saw that person at Disneyland that day. Uh, that person didn't get fired. I always thought, ah, that person ought to get fired for that. You don't call in sick. You call in and say, I'm not coming in today. I'm going to Disneyland. And depending on, you know, how your, your workplace culture works, I guess that would be okay. A lot of places, they don't have sick days anymore, right? They have personal days. So if you want to not come in today and go to Disneyland, well, you say, I'm taking a personal day. And then at least you're not lying about it. So these uh, Russian conscripts is what they're called over there when they are brought into the military, are, are breaking their arms and trying to get out of it. What we need to pray about is you think about this and you watch this on the news is a bunch of stuff. Always keep in mind our brothers and sisters in Christ who are there. Um, the seminaries that are in Ukraine in particular, some of them are pretty good. And a lot of people who are pastors or people who are teaching there, they stayed. Um, and some of them have not survived. Some of them are surviving and they're taking care of people. It's devastating what's happening. There's a lot of atrocities that go both ways. There's some things that the Ukrainians certainly have done wrong, and that happens in war, not an excuse for it. It's the evil and terribleness of of war that goes on. Mass graves have been found, um, and it looks like the Russians are pulling back only to regroup is what some people think. Some people are saying, you know, uh, Ukrainians are going to win. I don't know. I don't know that that's true. Um, but when Putin is making these comments about uh, threatening the West with nuclear war, what in the world is he planning to do? You know, that's a, that's a weird thing to say. Um, 888-528-2557 if you want to join the conversation. 888-528-2557 is the, com- is the number if you want to give us a call. You can also send me an email at SoCalLive at KKLA.com, SoCalLive at KKLA.com. There are many other conflicts around the world that are severe, where people are uh, being, Christians in particular, are being attacked and being wounded, um, dying for their faith. This happens all the time around the world. There are outbreaks of freedom that are, you're watching videos of women protesting in Iran. Did you see the video of uh, these women were beat up because by police in Iran because they, they weren't wearing the hijab correctly? And so there's a little bit of a revolt in that. Every time there's a revolt over there, I wonder how, if it's possible that there would be revolution. Um, like if there's enough people, enough power to to overthrow that regime, I don't know if there is. Uh, I don't know that there is enough will for that, but that would be a, a really good thing. Um, there are um, people who are here, right here in uh, our world, who just need our prayer, lots of different people. Do you pray for the church? When you have a prayer meeting at church, do you pray for the gospel to go out from the churches, whether it be in Ukraine or around the world where there's trouble? I think we do that a lot more there. I wonder if we do that often even here. I was listening to uh, Philip DeCourcy today on uh, the station. You listen to him, he's great. You know, He's a preacher, he's got a great accent. For some reason, it's really easy. Sometimes, sometimes an accent makes it hard for people to listen. You know, if you and I have an accent, there's probably some of you who can't. You know, to to you, I have an accent, and maybe you don't understand my accent very well. Everybody's got one right from somewhere, but for some people, I think it helps us pay attention. For a while in our church, we had somebody giving announcements every week who had this uh, South African accent, and everybody was just glued to everything she said. It was the best period of time for announcements in church because usually. People act like, oh, you didn't announce my thing. Yes, we did, and you weren't paying attention. Everybody paid attention. Philip DeCourcy, you pay attention. 
And, you know, he said something today that maybe maybe it's out there for a while, but I don't think I'd ever heard it. He was talking about the gospel, and he was talking about our need to preach it. I looked for this clip today. I couldn't, I couldn't grab it. Um, it wasn't on his website uh, for today's episode. But he said, you know, so often we think of ourselves as salesmen of the gospel. He said, but really we're the postman. He said, really our job is not to sell people on it. It'll sell itself. Our our responsibility is to deliver it. And I thought that was brilliant to be, you know, he said postman and salesman. Maybe he gets a letter for that. But if you should be a uh, gospel letter carrier, are we supposed to say that now? No, I think it was just an easy way to say it. We are to be postmen of the gospel, not salesmen. The salesman stuff gets into, you know, how do we shape it in a certain way rather than just deliver it in a way that it will be understood the salesman manipulates and the salesman leaves out details that uh, maybe you need to find out later but uh, doesn't really help the sale. The postman just delivers the message as it is. And what it is is it's good news. It is good news for the world. It is the good news that Jesus Christ died for your sins. It is the good news that in all of this trouble in the world, in this this war, the terrible things happening in other parts of the world, Armenia, there's some bad stuff happening. We're going to talk about that maybe next week. There are some places in the world where there is just dreadful violence. And, you know, it doesn't make the news the same way because what's happening in Ukraine, it makes the news because it's Russia. And it makes the news because of a nuclear power doing it. And it makes the news because it's Europe. It makes the news because there's a lot of reasons people want it to be in the news. The connection with China, the the global um, meaning of what is happening there. It doesn't mean that it's less severe, the suffering that's happening in other places. And God sees that suffering everywhere. And as you pray for people even in this country and you pray for people in those countries, we need to pray that the gospel is delivered. We need to pray that we're able to articulate this for the preachers and teachers, that they're able to articulate the gospel, that they don't see themselves as salespeople, that they see themselves as postal workers, that they are delivering this good news, postmen, I should say. Um, but that's our job. I heard somebody say once, and I've stolen it a few times, that our job is not to fill other people's cups, it's to pour out our own, and the Lord will help people fill out their own. That's a great way of putting it, that you know, God has given us the gospel, the good news of the gospel. We all have a story of what God did for us. Do you have a story of what God did for you? Like you know, in the Bible, when Jesus heals the blind men, and uh, they ask him, you know, what happened to you? We know you were blind. Now you can see what happened. And he says, I don't know, but I was blind and now I see. Uh, we don't have to know all the details. We have this great story of good news because it's pretty good news if you were blind and now you can see. It's pretty good news if you were crippled and now you can walk. That's super good news. And then what you have to do is point to who did it. It's Jesus. And spiritually speaking, you were dead in your sin. You were wandering around wondering what might be true. And we live in a time when you can just make up what might be true here and there. Um, do you have the ability to just share your story? Are you praying that other people be able to share their story? Do you feel like your story is not good enough? I've heard people say, I don't want to tell my story. I grew up in the church and my, my salvation story is pretty basic. Well, you know what? There's an awful lot of people who probably need to hear what, what it was that brought you to a place where you didn't just grow up in the church, where you made your faith your own. I bet there's a moment. You know, I bet there's a moment when you realized mom and dad aren't forcing me to go to church anymore. Am I going to believe this or not? Have you thought about that? If you've been in church your whole life, that's a good moment for you. 
Now, for some of you, maybe you never had that moment and you are just going to church because it's what you've always done. You need to ask yourself if you know Jesus or is it just religion to you? That's something else that we're finding so often these days. I've been thinking about this just as I look at the news and all of the the tragedy that's out there. We have good news. They have good news in Ukraine, good news in Russia. The good news is Putin's not in charge. The good news is Vladimir Zelensky is not in charge. The good news is Joe Biden is not in charge. The good news is that Jesus is in charge. He's on the throne. And that's really good news. That's super good news. Whether you like those guys or not, good news that Jesus is on the throne and not them. And that means that there is always hope. That means that there is always hope for you. There is always hope for our country. There is hope for other countries. Um, At least in the short term, there's hope for countries. In the end of the day, there's hope for people because Jesus is coming for people. And he wants everybody to be saved. Have you confessed Jesus as Lord? Do you know your story? What has Jesus done for you? If you want to share that, you can give me a call. 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. I'm going to take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Uh, you can also send me an email at SoCalLive at KKLA.com. I'll be back with you as the Thursday edition of SoCal Live continues. You're listening to SoCal Live with Scott Furrow on 99.5 KKLA. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live, good to be with you. Have you ever looked at where words come from? I like to do that. It's important to do that if you're doing Bible study, but sometimes it's fun just if you are looking at different words. Today, I learned about the word board, a B-O-A-R-D, in the context of room and board. Have you ever wondered why they call it room and board? If you're putting your kid in college and maybe you're signing up for the dorms, you can get room and board, or maybe there's a place you're going to stay, you know, and they might say room and board. If you're like, what's board? Why do we call it board? It means food, right? It means, well, you get your room, you can stay there, but the board part is food. But why board? Where does that come from? And it comes from an old idea. In uh, several hundred years ago, what would happen is if you went to an inn and you paid for a room, you would also pay for, you could pay for board. And board was a literal board, piece of wood, a flat piece of wood. And what would happen is they would give you this board, and that's what you would eat off of. It was symbolic of the food that might be provided for you. And then you would come to a dining room or you would have it in your room, however they set it up, and you would literally put your food on top of this board, just a you know piece of wood, and it would be on your lap. And you would sit on a bench maybe with other people, and everybody's got their own board, and your food would be served on it, and you would use it as a little table. Isn't that crazy? That's And that was kind of the beginning of the idea of room and board where it came from, as people would say, board. Now, if you were a little bit more wealthy, if you had a little bit more to do, you know, it's kind of awkward. You ever eat on your lap? You know, I've done that before. You get the little paper plate there and you're trying to, you know, cut into your steak while it's sitting on your lap and you're trying to balance it there. And it can be a little tricky. And if, even if you got a TV tray, right, that's kind of – it's sort of wobbly. Uh, well, they had kind of an idea of TV trays back then where if you were a little more wealthy, you could actually have a little stand. It would it – would, and it would be – it would have two legs and you could put the board on top of it. So you would have almost like a TV tray. Imagine that you're sitting there and you've got your TV tray with you and you could have the board – you could have it sitting there and then it would be a lot more more stable. Okay. And that is uh, – that would be if you were a little more wealthy with your room and board. But then another thing that they would do is they would get a very large piece of wood, a really big, long uh, board, and attach legs to the the ends of it, 
and it would look like a big table. And that would also be a board. And if you were a little more well-to-do or if you were staying in a nicer place or you were a little bit more of an important person, you could go sit up at that board and you bring your stool up. They didn't have chairs for a long time. I mean, chairs were not a very common thing for a long time, maybe till about the 1600s or so. And here's what blew my mind when I was listening to this uh, person describe what board is. If somebody had a chair an actual chair with a seat and a back, they would put that at the end of the table in a place of prominence. This would have been the most important or the most wealthy person there. And they were called, can you guess what they were called? They were called the chairman of the board. Isn't that crazy? Like the important people, the people who were more important, they sat up at the board, which is how you get bored today. It's how, where that went, right? Is that now you have a board that may be at your company, right? Or at your church, you got a board. And the chairman of the board is the person who's literally sitting in a chair, somebody who is more important, important enough to have a chair. Or at some place, they got real competitive with their chairs. And some chairs had a cushion on it, or some chairs had a longer back, or they had, you know, I don't know if they had anything that was very ergonomical, but there were different things that people would do. And if you had the fanciest chair, you would be the chairman of the board and you would sit at the end of it. And that's where a lot of this this comes from. It's very interesting to figure out where our words come from. There was another thing that people would do is that people would, um, if you kept your if you kept your hands above the the table, okay, the board. You ever heard the phrase "above board"? You know what they're doing is above board. What it means is there's no secrets. There's nothing going on. You would you would put your hands above the table. And that would be above board. And it came from that. Because if your hands were underneath the table, you know, maybe you were stealing some food or maybe you had something that you shouldn't have with you and you're hiding it under the table. Above board would be that you're sitting up at that table and you have your hands up on the table where everyone can see them. And that's where you get the idea above board. That stuff just blows me away. 888-528-2557 if you want to join our conversation. 888-528-2557. I heard, I don't know if this is true, I couldn't follow up on it, that the idea of being bored, it may not be right because it's spelled different, but the idea of being bored, B-O-R-E-D, is that uh, you were at the table and you had nothing to do, nothing to eat, nothing to do. You're just sitting up at the table and you were bored. I don't know if that's right, but I, I sort of liked it, but I don't know if that's right. 888-528-2557. Biblically speaking, when you do this, there's a word that I like to talk about because I think there's a practical application for all of us. And it's a word that has a great etymology if you go back in, in English and what it means. In And the word is oikos, Okay. And that would be maybe how you'd pronounce it if you're talking about biblical Greek. Over time, the Greek language, New Testament mostly is written in Greek, but it's written in an old Greek, okay? Uh, And the old Greek is called Koine Greek, if you're interested in that. But the modern Greek is similar, but it's, it's changed a little bit. There are, there are books that even talk about the pronunciation of, of words and how we said it. Today, I think, and you can call me if I'm wrong about this, but I think if you speak modern Greek, the word oikos, it's rubbing you wrong when I say that because the oikos, it's really ekos, okay, is how you would say it today. But there are books that debate whether or not the oi in that word should be oi or e, you know, in ancient times. And nobody had a recorder back then. Nobody understood, you know, how to say it. Anyway, where that word comes from that's so interesting is that it's the root word for economy, oikos, okay? It's the root English for the English word uh, ecology. Um, and it basically, it means a system, Okay, it's a system of 
of how things interact. So if you have an ecology, it's in the environmental system. It's how the, the plants and the water and the animals and the insects, everything interacts with each other. It's the ecology. Uh, economy, it's, it's the exchange of goods and services and, and how a society functions. There's an economy uh, of that. Um, I suppose they call it Oikos yogurt, if you've ever seen that. And because I use this word Oikos, I always get coupons for Oikos yogurt. Uh, it is tasty, but that's not what I'm talking about. But it's probably talking about all of the uh, fancy bacteria that's in it or something that's supposed to be good for you. In ancient days, though, the word, it relates to the word house or household. It can mean physical domicile, okay, like your house, your oikos, it's your house. But it also can mean your your family. It can mean the people in your relational world. And that's where it becomes an important word, I think, for us as believers. Are you with me? Are you following me here? Okay. Everybody's got an oikos. If you're studying and you're at UCLA or UCSD, you're studying sociology, at some point you're going to come across this word oikos um, because it describes relational units of people, people that you interact with on a regular basis, the people that you do life with, the people that are a part of your regular life. So it's your people you work with, it's your family, it's your people who you might go to school with. Uh, for a lot of us, it's our coffee barista that we see every day. You know, who are the people that we're actually doing life with? That is your oikos. And you probably don't think of it that way very much, that you have an oikos, but you do. You have an oikos. It's, it's your household. It's the people that you do life with. And in a minute, I'll explain biblically why that's an important word and what the application is to it. And it matters a lot, but I want to take your call here and just say, well, I got calls coming in. I'll take them in a second. They're not quite there. So in the Bible, you see this word um, oikos a lot. And the interesting thing about it is that in biblical times, people would have known about the writings of Aristotle and some of these Greek guys that you would go take a class about. And the word oikos was very common because it was a political word that was debated amongst different people. Oikos meant the, you know, what is the role of people in your household? Like, what is the responsibility uh, of people for taking care of others? Who takes care of the poor? Who makes sure that everybody's fed? Uh, whatever health care would have been available, who does that? Who makes sure that happens? Um, uh, who goes to war? Should the country need to go to war? Who runs the government? Who is the judges? Who are the uh, police or the police figures at the time? And the debate would be, what should be done with the oikos, meaning that you and your, your household and your people, you should be handling these things, making sure people are fed or whatever. And the debate would be, but at what point do you need the the polis, which is the idea of government or the idea of groups of oikos together, they should do it. You know, going to war, well, you know, you shouldn't just decide you're going to war against some other country. Your government should do that, okay? So there's a role for that. So the interesting thing is today we might debate big government versus small government. It's the same idea back then. In biblical times, there were debates about big government and small government. What should the government do uh, to take care of people or to do the business of uh, the society? And what should be the responsibility of the regular people? And so an interesting thing is this is in the background of a lot of things that are in the scriptures and what is said, some of the words of Jesus and what is said there. And it's so relevant because it even is today. What is the responsibility for you and me in our culture with all the issues that we're dealing with? What is the responsibility of you and your coworkers and their classmates and your family, your neighbors? What should we be doing and what are the things that the government should be doing? It's exactly the same conversation. 
that conversation was going on in Jesus's day. In a minute, I will get back to uh, to sharing with you why that's important to know and how it can be really practical for you. I want to take a call here from Scott in Orange County. Uh, Scott, welcome to Southern California Live. Hello. Hi, Scott. Go ahead and turn your radio down. How you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I just turned the radio down. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Go- uh, am I to speak now? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, is, is this Scott? Yeah, this is Scott. Is this Scott? Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, go ahead, Scott. You're on. I just... Yeah, I my story can be summed up with that. Yeah, believing in Jesus Christ is like from really uh, from blindness to uh, to eyes open. I I was uh, a high school dropout, and actually when I dropped out of high school, I actually also checked out my home for about a whole year. I was not, I was wandering outside, and eventually, you, were you I homeless? Just, uh, no, I got friends. Okay, so, uh, I was not homeless. I, I got friends and just hang out with. My friend's home, and uh, uh, make a long story short, I eventually uh, came home, and I, I finished schooling, and I actually became a doctor, become a surgeon. Oh, good and for you! Halfway, I'm sorry. Good for you. Yeah, yeah. yes, 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 and uh, eventually, in the middle of uh, in a surgical career, I be, it really, really the Lord is on doing. I, I, I. I was on my way, want to be a cardiac surgeon, but I was interrupted in my career my, because of my own heart issues. At, at that time, uh, the Lord rescued me, and I became an OB gynecologist. And the Lord's word for me was that he's not, he doesn't want me to be a cardiac surgeon. He wants me to be a heart surgeon. He wanted me to change people's heart. Mm. So I eventually, uh, I eventually uh, stopped practice, and I... I went to a seminary and I went to a Fuller and I became a pastor. Well, good for you, so Scott. I'm, uh, yeah, I just, uh, whoever is listening, I mean, uh, I, I can say really for, there's, there's really, don't be ashamed to talk about believing in Jesus Christ. I mean, as you were just saying, what is our obligation that this workforce? Just shine for Christ. That this, he's the only hope. There's really no hope. Look at look around every day. So that's my message. All right. Yes, Christ is Christ is real. Christ is true, and believe in Him. And really, it's not just about eternal life. It's about life here now, and life become eternal. Yes. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Scott. Thanks for calling Southern California Live. You know, this is a great story. He was going to be a uh, heart surgeon, cardiac surgeon, and now he is a heart surgeon as a pastor. Uh, Scott, I'm sure the pay is a lot less, but uh, eternally, you're doing a lot better work. That is, uh, it's a great message there. And it'll tie into what we're going to talk about when we get back from the break here. And I'll bring into this this word Oikos and how you can use it practically speaking in your life. 888-528-2557 if you want to join our conversation. I'm Scott Furrow. This is Southern California Live. We'll be back as the Thursday edition continues. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow on 99.5 KKLA. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. Good to be with you. We are talking about words and how they change and they have meaning. We started talking about uh, where the word like room and board comes from. And now we've been talking about a biblical word, oikos. It's the root word in English of economy or ecology. It's about a system. It's about a system of how things work is often where that word comes from. The ancient Greek meaning of the word is house or household. 
And in the Bible, you'll find that word in several different places where it means, sometimes it means house, like your domicile, where you live. But most of the time, it means your relational world, the people that you interact with on a regular basis. It uh, is an ancient word that if you study in the classical Greek people, you can go take a class on that. Some of them they have online these days. Um, the word is a meaningful word politically because it talks about the responsibility of the political writings of the day, talk about the responsibility of people versus the government. So, for example, the Roman government would come out, and the government, another you know Greek word to get into that is polis, okay? That's where we get the word police, all right? We, it's where we get the word political. It's where we get you know words like that. Um, there was something called, I think, the bread circus is what it was called, and Caesar or his representatives would come to town and feed everybody and say, see, Caesar loves you, and we're a good government, and we love you, and here you go. Um, but really, it was being done to buy people off. So there would be a debate to say, well, is it really the responsibility of Caesar's government to literally feed us? Or ought we together as as people who live together in a in a town, isn't it our responsibility to feed each other, to grow our food and make sure we have enough to eat and to feed our neighbors? And that would be kind of the political debate. And you can see where today we have a similar political debate, right? What's the role of government? What's too much government? What should government do? What should government not do? It's the same thing. Biblically speaking, when you, when you realize that that's part of the discussion there, you find this word throughout the Scripture, and it's important when you're learning the Bible, when you really study the Bible, to try to picture how people would have heard these words then. Like, what would it have meant to, to them to hear what Jesus had to say? Uh, the Bible, an interesting thing about it is it's written, it's written for us— Right, we it's written as God's word. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is everything we need for this life. It tells us where we've been, where we're going, why all of that stuff is there. It's really important. But also, the books of the Bible were written to a particular group of people at the time. Okay, so there is a there's an audience that these books were written to at the time. Uh, the Gospels, for example, the Gospel of Matthew was probably geared towards a more Jewish audience. That's why there's. Uh, the genealogy that it begins with. Where if you're a Gentile, you wouldn't have cared about that genealogy, so that's why you don't see that uh, in the Gospel of John, for example. Okay, um, But both of those Gospels are relevant and useful for all of us. And so um, when we take a look at it, a good way to interpret Scripture is to make sure you try to understand what the original audience would have heard. You know, What is it that they would have thought? That really helps you a lot. And so when you think of, but when you hear this word household and you see it in, in passages all throughout uh, the Bible, um, after Zacchaeus was converted in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. The word there is oikos, okay? Uh, when Jesus heals the son of a royal official, it says he and all of his household believed, and the word there for household is oikos. Um, when Jesus called Levi or Matthew, to be his disciple, he was having dinner at with the oikos of Levi, meaning it wasn't just at Matthew's house. Uh, it was with many tax collectors and sinners. They were eating with him. That was his oikos. That was his relational world. If you were a tax collector, your only friends were other tax collectors back then. Okay, So when Jesus is hanging out with Matthew, uh, his only friends were other tax collectors. Um, you see what I'm saying? So people understood that your relational world, today when we say family, we mean, you know, husband, wife, and two and a half kids most of the time, right? That's kind of your your nuclear family. And they had that then for sure, but your nuclear family 
probably didn't live, unless you were super wealthy, you didn't live in your own separate place. You lived with other nuclear families and also cousins and grandparents and whoever was still around. And you probably lived on a compound. You've seen where they dig up all the houses and there's like apartments sort of all stacked on each other. That's how people lived. And the the wealthiest probably would have been your employer. And you might have been a slave to that person or an indentured servant or you were kind of connected there. But the employer's job, part of your pay was they would feed you. Um, and if the employer wasn't, they needed to feed you. Otherwise, you couldn't do your job and you would leave and go get somebody else who would feed you. Uh, there wasn't supermarkets the way we see them today, and you may not have been able to grow enough of your own food, so you relied on the person who you were working for, and you probably worked as a farmer and, and in part grew your own food. And if they were really good at it, you grew enough food for you and your, your oikos, your relational world, and you sold the rest of it, and that's how money got made. All right, get that? So when you see this word in the New Testament, it's relating to the people that you know, the people that you do life with. Not necessarily your friends, although it's definitely your friends, but not necessarily people that you always like, not necessarily people who always like you, but people that you're stuck with. And what's important is that this word is so often throughout the New Testament used in the context of evangelism, of sharing your faith. Who do you make disciples of? Have you thought about that when Jesus asked you to go make disciples? Who? It's inherently a relational word. Jesus uses this word in a very familiar passage in Matthew chapter 5. When you are the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. You've probably heard that before. But now that I've explained that word to you, house, what does he mean? He's not talking about some kind of spiritual feng shui for where you put your literal lamp in your home. It says, instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the relational world, that the light that you have, the light that God has given you, and Jesus is going to explain that in the next part. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. Right there, when you realize that when Jesus says it gives light to everyone in the house, that people would have heard that word oikos, and what they would have heard is not domicile. They would have heard relational world. Your boss, your coworkers, the people you go to school with, the people that you do life with. It would include your family, and it would include you know, lots of different people. That's where your faith gets seen, your oikos, your people that are a part of your life. Uh, when Jesus heals a guy in, uh, chapter, in Mark chapter 5, the demon-possessed man, Jesus says to him, go home to your people one translation says, but the word is oikos. Let's go home to your relational world. Tell them how much the Lord, what the Lord has done for you. You know, the reason why is because those are the people who are going to listen. You know, some people I think have the gift of evangelism. They can go out in the street and just share the gospel and people listen. But most of us, the only people who care what we think are people who we actually interact with. And if you want to make an impact, you know, one of the reasons that we'll even spend time talking about news stories and things in the world of today on our program it's to help you have better conversations and to represent Christ better to the people in your relational world. The people who are, were listening to the first hour, I got a bunch of emails wanting me to send you all those links about uh, uh, the babies who were in the womb and that picture of that video that's going around today where they had the carrots and the kale and they enjoyed the baby enjoyed the carrots but did not enjoy the, the, the kale, <laughs> uh, which I understand fully. Um, the reason that it's important to understand some of these things in the debate is not just for your understanding. It's because when these things come up in conversation with people you know, you'll be better prepared with what's true. You'll be better prepared to represent 
uh, what is true about the Lord, about being made in the Lord's image and how all of these things work. See, the, the people who care, the people who you impact are the people in your relational world. That's where disciples are made. Uh, that's why when you know, Jesus says uh, to love your enemy, to pray for those who, who persecute you. Uh, probably people in your oikos are persecuting you. You know, there's probably somebody you know if you're being persecuted. You pray for them because God has placed you in their life on purpose. You are the best qualified to demonstrate and announce the gospel, to actually give the gospel. Can I challenge you this way? We do this once in a while. Figure out who your oikos is. List them out. It's not a whole bunch of people. One writer, his name's Tom Mercer, he, he thinks it's 8 to 15 people. He got that out of a sociological study, I think. Uh, you, it's not just people you like. It's not your prayer list. Your prayer list is probably much bigger. Who are the people that God has put in your world? Who are the people that if you are asked to share your faith, if you're a Christian, who are the people who would know if you are telling the truth or not about what you believe? Who are the people who are close enough to you that they see your life for what it is? They see whether or not you're hiding the light underneath you know, a bushel or if you are showing the light to your oikos. Who are those people? Write their names down. Pray for them every day. This will begin to change your world. It'll change their world. It will change your purposes every day to pray for those people. Ask God to use you in their life. Ask God to help them grow in their faith. Ask God, if they're Christians, maybe they're going to help you grow in your faith. That's your oikos. And what you see throughout the whole New Testament, the reason that Paul writes letters and he gives you a bunch of theology, but then he talks about your, your, your slaves and masters, and he talks about husbands and wives and kids and, and your neighbor is because that's oikos. That's the economy of God. That's how this actually works. Isn't that good? We'll tell you more about that. I like it. Figure out who your people are and pray for them every day. We're done for today. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. You can get the podcast of the show by going to the radio station website. I'll see you again tomorrow for Open Line Friday uh, and some other things tomorrow. God bless you. Have a great day.